Hello and welcome to another BJ Psych Advances podcast. My name is Asta Sharma and I'm a trainee editor for BJ Psych Advances. Today we're recording live at the Royal College of Psychiatrists International Congress 2019 in London and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Professor Femi Oybord who is going to talk about his recent BJ Psych Advances article uh, titled The Body Integrity Identity Disorder Clinical Features and Ethical Dimensions. Uh, Femi is a consultant psychiatrist at the Barbary, which is uh, part of the National Center for Mental Health within the Birmingham and Solihull Mental Health NHS Foundation Trust. He's also a professor of psychiatry at the University of Birmingham, UK. Thank you so much for joining us, Femi. Great pleasure. So I wanted to ask, what generated your interest in researching about this topic of body integrity identity disorder, which is quite a rare and complex condition, which not a lot of clinicians are familiar with? Um, I think the general interest is because I'm a, I'm a psychopathologist, so I'm interested in abnormal phenomena. I'm interested in uh, all the unusual, particularly unusual presentations of psychiatric disorders and um, and body integrity identity disorder is one of the latest that psychiatrists have become aware of and I thought it'd be good to just explore it a little bit more so that I draw the uh, this psychiatric community to to have a look at it to make sure that people are aware of this condition. Could you share with us the currently understood clinical features of this disorder? So the it, it's not yet in uh, it's not a condition which is um, already accepted and and it's not in any of the currently used classification systems. Mm-hmm. So it's not in DSM five, and it may come into ICD eleven. But of course, ICD eleven um, is not itself yet published. So so these are these features. They're like consensus statements mm-hmm. of people who've seen the relatively rare cases that have come. Uh, to the attention of clinicians. So I think as as currently understood, it's a condition where the onset is in early childhood or Mm -hmm. early adolescence. Um, There is said to be an incredible delay in presentation of of something between 30 and 50 years, which is saying something about how there's a stigma around the condition such that people tend not to to present to, to, to doctors. Um, it affects mostly men, uh, but also it can also affect women. Uh, it does look as if there's an increased prevalence uh, of people with homosexual or bisexual uh, sexual preference. Um, and it is, in some cases, associated with gender identity disorder or other kinds of paraphilias. And, and some of the cases that have been reported there's been uh, early exposure to um, a, a person who's had an amputation in the childhood of the of the of the patient, um, and and of course very concerning and very worrying is this idea that um, in some individuals the kind of dysphoria associated with the condition leads to attempts at self self amputation. So so that already gives gives us the idea that there's significant psychological distress. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any other family history of psychiatric disorder. There doesn't seem to be any association with previous trauma or impairment. Um, but some people say that there's uh, that the left limb is much more likely to be affected. But when you look at the data carefully, there doesn't seem to be any kind of laterality effect. Um, but there may be kind of associations with, with personality disorders. So you can mm-hmm. see that we're only just beginning to get a grasp of what the, what the clinical features are. 
Thank you for sharing that. Just hearing you talk about that makes me curious how it relates to similar clinical constructs. For example, body dysmorphic disorder, other identity disorders like gender dysphoria or even factitious disorder. Yes, yes you are absolutely correct to to raise those uh, that particular question and to raise whether there are similarities or overlap with these with these other conditions. I think a good way of, of approaching is to think of uh, body dysmorphia. Body dysmorphia, the central aspect of body dysmorphia is there is intense dislike of one's own body, their kind of uh, belief, the you might say an overvalued or a delusional belief of ugliness. So the individual would say, that um, there's something wrong with my nose and the what's wrong with my nose makes me feel ugly, that my nose is ugly. So there's this yeah. kind of pervasive sense of ugliness. Um, whereas uh, in, in, in the condition where we're discussing in body integrity identity disorder, there is a, a, a kind of um, dissatisfaction with the body. There's a kind of dysphoria or distress about how the body is, but the patient in general is not making a claim that the arm that they want or the leg that they want amputated is ugly. They're just saying it's not part of them. Um, and of course, there's a kind of paradoxical aspect to it where you've got an individual who says that they wish to have their leg amputated in order to feel complete, which is a strange idea that you would feel complete by actually having an incomplete body. But that's the kind of way in which people talk about it. So mm. I think we can separate it out from uh, body dysmorphic mm. disorder. I think that there are similarities in some of the cases reported with factitious disorders. So you've got individuals where they pretend to be paralyzed and who then purchase or acquire uh, a wheelchair and then act as if they're paralyzed. Mm. So in that regard, that sort of case has a, a lot of the features of a factitious disorder. And of course, the central aspect of factitious disorder is this idea that your your presentation, your distress, the aim of your distress is to get attention mm. and not transform another person. Therefore, you can see the link straight away that an individual who pretends to be paralyzed, who then sits in a wheelchair, gets the attention of others. So, so there is a similarity in that regard. Mm. But this is only you know only a few of the cases. Some people make the claim that if they, they would like to have their spine transected, surgically cut, but in preparation for having their spine transected, they practice what it would be like to be in a wheelchair. So, so you can see that there's a difference, there's a similarity, but there's a difference in the sense that they are not claiming that they're paralyzed. So even those people who are pretending, who are sitting in a wheelchair, they're different from a factitious disorder in the sense that if you were to interview them, they're not claiming that they're paralyzed. Whereas mm. in a factitious disorder, the claim would be that I am paralyzed and that's why I'm in a wheelchair. So, mm. so there are similarities, there's that kind of flavor mm. of, um, of an abnormal illness behavior, mm. but, and which is the similarity, but there are distinctions as well. Mm. And finally, you, you ask about uh, transsexualism or gender identity disorder. And there are uh, very obvious similarities here. So if you were to think of uh, gender identity disorder, it occurs, it, the onset is in early life, so you're getting it happening from the, about the age of 8 to 11. And a lot of people say that body integrity identity disorder, also the onset is about the age of 8 to 12, something of that sort. Yeah. 
and therefore it's a long-standing protracted kind of belief about one's own body so that's one aspect of it the mm -hmm. second part of it is which is also similar in conceptual terms is the idea that your individual with uh, gender identity disorder that the the body that they inhabit is different from the body that mentally they think they belong to so there's that discrepancy between the body schema and the actual material body that they inhabit. And that's the similarity that you've got with individuals with body integrity identity disorder in the sense that the individual has a belief that their body schema is lacking a limb. Therefore, it feels uncomfortable for somebody to, in, to have a, a mental construct of their body as being without a limb, yet they are with a limb. So, so the, they have the same degree of kind of uh, ambition uh, or, or intention to alter the physical body to match the body schema that they were born with. So, so that's the similarity. Um, and, and you get the same intensity of action uh, in both conditions. Okay. Thank you for that very comprehensive explanation of, of the parallels with other clinical constructs. Um, I was wondering, as a clinician, are there important things that one should consider regarding this diagnosis or management if we were going to encounter this clinical situation? I think it's a very, very rare condition. Mm -hmm. and, um, and and in over, over 40 years of being a psychiatrist, I think I've only seen um, one person that I could imagine was in any way close to this case. Um, so they are so unusual that um, you would have, I would have thought you would have to ask for a second opinion. You'd have to ask other colleagues to see the individual. So, so for the general psychiatrist, I'd be surprised if we were to be inundated with cases of this kind. But nonetheless, I think if they were to present, I don't think you ought to be acting on your own. I think you ought to be asking other people to see them in order to confirm that your belief um, your suspicion is correct, and then you probably need to get many more people involved if you were to recommend that they should have uh, a surgery for to remove a limb that, for all purposes, is normal. So I, I think, in conclusion, what I'd like to say that this is a, a rare, rare condition. It's a, a conceptually a wonderful condition for a psychopathologist to, to think about because it reminds us of the incredible force of the body schema in relation to the actual material body that we inhabit. And it shows us that there's a, a, a real distinction to be had and that for most people, we're lucky that our body schema and our material bodies are in synchrony. Therefore, there's no kind of, the kind of, there's no kind of unhappiness or distress or kind of dissatisfaction of the material body that we have. So, so that's important. I think that uh, just to remember that the key features, the key features are very similar to the key features in, in transsexualism, in that these are conditions which are long-lasting with the onset in early adolescence, uh, and that the distress can be great enough to cause harm, by which I mean that it can force the person to act in such a way that they would then have to have an amputation, um, which of course can be very dangerous, and there are reports of people who have died in the, in the process of, of, of this. 
And, and finally, to say that the, this condition is a condition in its own right. It isn't secondary to something else. So it's not to do with the fact that the individual is psychotic. It's not to do with the fact that the individual is severely depressed or anything of that sort. That it's, you have to regard it as a, a unique condition which speaks to the nature of, of the construct of how our bodies and our, and, and our conceptual body uh, are related to one another. Thank you so much for your enlightening description about body integrity identity disorder. That concludes today's podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Pami. Great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this BJ Psych Advances podcast. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at the BJ Psych. To listen to more podcasts from the BJ Psych Journal Portfolio, visit us on SoundCloud or search for us online.